Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Tuesday, October the 11th, 2022. It is currently 10.09 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, if you keep up with all of our series, if you keep up with all the things that we are always working on, then you are probably familiar with a series we started, well, it it feels like a couple of months ago. In fact, let me look here at the exact date this series began. Let me look here. The, The first message of the series was back, I think, in, when was it? It's the, maybe... August, maybe the end of August, the beginning of September. I don't have the exact date in front of me. I thought I could pull it up, but it was a series that we are calling The Church and Youth in 2022. And in this series, we have been reviewing sermons preached at a youth conference that was held in the summer of 2022 at, well, First Baptist Church in Hammond, Indiana. And as we've been reviewing these sermons preached in Indiana, we've de- we've determined one thing. There, there's lots of things we may have talked about, but we've drawn one clear conclusion. The Christianity in Indiana is so bad that you should flee the state of Indiana. You should never live there. You should move away. And if you're driving, you should drive around. Okay, maybe it's a little bit of hyperbole, but I will tell you this. Reviewing the sermons preached at this youth conference in Hammond, Indiana, it got so bad that I didn't know what to do. I was like, I've got to get away from this. I've got to get away from this. It got so bad that I got on a ship and went away from the United States of America and went to other countries to get as far away from Indiana as I could. That's how bad it was. Reviewing sermons from a youth conference in Indiana, it got so bad that I had to get on a ship and leave the United States of America. That is what this has... Okay, maybe that's a little bit of hyperbole as well. Okay, I'm exaggerating a lot, but I'm trying to make a point. We've been reviewing these sermons. In fact, we have now done 10 messages in this series. Again, the name of the series, The Church and Youth in 2022. We have spent 10 plus hours reviewing sermons preached at this youth conference, and it has been, how can we say, discouraging, depressing, confusing, frustrating. At times, it, it has it has caused anger. I, I, it has caused so many emotions, but it has been, I guess in some ways, it has made me very sad for what many Christian young people experience by going to church. I hate to say it, I think some young people may be better off never walking through the front door of a church, and I know that sounds like hyperbole, but there's a little bit of seriousness to that. Yes, I'm having a little bit of fun talking about how bad it has has been, but I think most people who have listened to these sermons that we've reviewed from the youth conference have all been somewhat bothered by the emotional manipulation, the, you know, almost like insulting the teenagers at time. It, it just... It's just been crazy to hear, but we're not done, so we have to go back. I mean, I did get on a ship and leave the country, but that was for a vacation. That wasn't to get away from Indiana, but it's more fun to say that. But yes, uh, I when I returned back, I'm like, oh, I've got this series to work on and this series, but we've got to finish that look at the youth conference that occurred 
in 2022 in Hammond, Indiana. So that's where we're going. We're going to return back to First Baptist Church in Hammond, Indiana. I don't even know what part we're on anymore because the labeling on their on one of the podcast apps is all wrong. It says morning time when it's clearly an evening service. It says uh, it says evening when clearly it's a morning service. The dates don't necessarily match up. So there's a lot of confusion in some of that, but it doesn't really matter about the date or the time. It just matters. This is what's being preached to young people in 2022. And we did not realize this when we started these, this review process, but the very first sermon preached at the youth conference, the speaker basically said that this youth conference in Hammond, Indiana is one of the most influential youth conferences in the entire country, maybe even in the entire world. So if it's such an influential youth conference, then we definitely want to know what young people are being taught in church, in the evangelical world, in the fundamentalist world, in American Christianity. Now, I asked all of you to tell me, send me a list of three things you think need to be taught to young people. Those lists, it's, it's interesting that basically no one agrees on what should be taught to young people. Uh, but I, 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 we will maybe try to get to that and do a little work on that our, on, on our own. But the real, the real goal of this series is just to go, hey, stop what you're doing and let's listen to what's being preached to young people in 2022. And then I want you to think about what is being taught to young people in your church? What does youth ministry look like in your church? Is it more entertainment-based, fun, trying to be cool, trying to be hip? Or are young people really being taught doctrine, theology, exegetical teaching, church history, you know, how to think logically, that, that would probably be important. I mean, there's a lot of things young people need to be taught, but so much of what I believe, I believe in many cases, the church teaches young people nothing more than just morality. It's just moralism. It's just a, a, a system of rules. I don't think most young people are gospel-minded. I don't think, I think they are law-based instead of gospel-based, which is what we're doing a series on law and gospel. So it's making me think that. But this has been, I don't know, th this has just been a lot of craziness, but I've got it queued up. Now, remember when I do the review, I don't know what's getting ready to happen. I have no idea because I don't listen to the messages beforehand because I like my reaction to be real and to be organic and for you to hear my reaction in real time. So, and it and invites you to be a part of it. So if you're listening live on the Spreaker app, you can obviously hop into the chat whenever you would like. If you're not listening via the Spreaker app, uh, you can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. We're currently out of YouTube timeout. Isn't that wonderful? Yay! Yay! Should, should we do this? We're no longer in YouTube timeout. Now, the reality is, I don't know why we're cheering, because uh, I'll probably be back in YouTube timeout before we know. We're getting really close to having our channel completely banned from YouTube, and it's just maddening because we have yet to violate any rule. There's not one rule we have violated. I, they, they, they can't even point to a rule, but, but it, it's just, it's maddening. So, but we're back on YouTube. I think I've got everything caught up. I've uploaded everything that we've missed. So, if you're listening on YouTube... Thank you very much. 
Uh, but feel free to uh, leave a comment if you so desire there. And if you're listening to us on the Sermons 2.0 app, hey, we love when you leave a positive comment. Helps people possibly find it. So just however, and of course, if you're listening to us on the Apple Podcasting app, please leave a five-star rating and a review because that's helpful as well because we definitely have people. And if you're listening to us on the Pandora app, thumbs up. We get lots of thumbs down on Pandora. We have a Pandora. A lot of people listen to us on the Pandora music uh, streaming app, but man, we get a lot of thumbs down there. So it's depressing. Okay. All right. Are you ready? We're not here to talk about all of that. Here we go. Let's go back to Indiana. Hammond, Indiana, which someone who lives in Indiana told me where Hammond, Indiana is, but yeah, Indiana. I just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we, I, I, the reviewing, uh, the reviewing of these sermons have made me very much question the, maybe, maybe should Indiana be removed from, from, from uh, the United States of America? Like we just, I don't know, sell it to a different, okay, I'm joking, but no, the sermons have just been, and I try not to be that negative. I'm really, i I mean, a little bit, I'm having a little bit of fun, obviously. I mean, I think everyone can pick up the sar- a little bit of, you know, being over the top hyperbole. But um, I just, um, I just don't know what to say. Like, I, I've been, like, typically when I review a sermon, I try to find something positive in it. But some of these have been just so, the way the scriptures have been handled, it's just been so bad. It's just been so bad. But I'm hoping now the, the my concern with the one we're getting ready to review, it's only 22 minutes long. So I don't know what you can do with scripture in 22 minutes, but uh, I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what they're about. to. This is getting close to the end of the conference. So I'm, I'm curious to see how they're going to what what they what they really think the young you know because a lot of times when you get closer to the end you're thinking okay this is what I want them to go home with this is what I want them to remember sometimes you may just kind of repeat something maybe you preached earlier that was preached earlier in the conference because you think this is the point we need to drive home I don't know we'll see here we go Hammond Indiana from I think it's June or July of 2022 where it's happened I think we began I think we began the our review process on August the 20th, I believe, was the first one. And, uh, well, we've gone all the way to, uh, I think the last episode we did was September the 27th. And now here we are, August the uh, October the 11th. So it's taking us a little while to make it through all of these messages. Hopefully it's been beneficial. Hopefully it's giving you some insight to what some young people are experiencing in their church life. And, uh, well, let's continue our review process right now. But Thursday afternoon on a summer in July was a very good day in the life and times of John Wilkerson. It was right here. It wasn't in this building. It was this time. This was a department store, but right across the street. 42 years ago on a Thursday afternoon, right, right now. I was 13 years old. I lived in Superior, Wisconsin. Our good pastor Pastor Rick Scarberry, who now lives with Jesus, he and my dad were good friends, and we went up there to live there for about two and a half, three years. And Mr. Ingleby and Mr. Wark, Steve Wark was my Sunday school teacher, and he told us, we're going to try to take some kids down to a youth conference in Hammond, Indiana. 
says, we only got one van, and so we had to fit as many people as we could in there. We fit 11 people in the van, and then we stopped in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and picked up a young lady named Sherry Hallett, and her brother is here today. And we came down here to a youth conference. I don't remember this for sure, but I, I do know this. My dad wanted me to come. My mom wanted me to come. After I got back from youth conference, I found out how much they wanted me to come. I was watching my mom, watching my mom uh, wash dishes. I had never seen my mom without her wedding band. And I said, Mom, where's your, where's your ring? She goes, uh, you know, I'm going to get it back. You're going to get it back. So I didn't ask too many questions. She didn't want to give me more information. And my parents took their wedding band off and took it to a pawn shop so I would have enough money to come to an event like this. Oh, my goodness. Okay, we got to talk. Why is it when a church wants to send kids to a youth conference that the cost would be so much that parents would have to pawn their wedding ban to get their kids to a youth conference? Why wouldn't the church that those parents go to pay to get to the, the kids to the youth conference? Look, I, I, do, I, I don't understand church culture. I don't understand church culture at all. I'm just going to be honest. Whenever, whenever I look at what Christians just accept as normal within the life of a church, I look at it as absurd, insane, crazy, illogical. It, it's, it's an absurdity to me. Much of what happens within the church is an absurdity to me. Those who grew up in the church, it may just come at like second nature. But as long as I've been a part of Christianity by now, you think I would have been able to adapt to it, but I don't. In fact, I've become more repulsed by it. But here's the thing. I see it all the time. Churches, they, we got to send our kids to church camp. We got to send our, our kids to a youth a youth conference because that's where they're going to ultimately be changed. That's where we're there. I mean, it's always like, hey, we can't minister to the kids here, so we got to send them somewhere else. One of the, I don't I don't even understand that. Like like it, look, why do we have to send them to a church camp? Now, to me, if you know anything what I think about youth camp and church camp, I believe it's nothing more than a form of brainwashing. You isolate, you indoctrinate, you you manipulate. I, I can't. I can't stand so much of what happens in, in in church camps. But once again, it's money. It's money. We got. It's going to cost this much money. It's going to cost this much money. Now I've seen in some churches that the kids have to start doing fundraising, right, to go to church camp, right? They have to do car washes or sell candy bars or whatever nonsense. I don't understand that. If the church wants the young people there, the church should support them, those young people going. Pay for the entire thing. Right? If you believe that, oh, this is so important to get the kids there. This is so important. This is going to be life-changing. They're going to hear the gospel. They're going to be saved. We, we can't accomplish it here in the church, but we've got to send them to a, a, ch a church camp. Well, then pay for it. Oh, oh, these kids need to go to youth conference. They've got to go to this youth conference. They have to. It's so important. Then why are church members pawning their wedding bands to get a kid to a church camp? The church should pay to get them there. That is insanity. 
Like, I don't understand. What could be in the minds of a Christian going, my kids need to go to this youth conference. They have to go to this youth conference. It's so important that we'll, we'll pawn our wedding band to get them there. Like, they can't be real. Like, like, like what? Okay, well, we're done. Okay, we're, we're just going to leave Indiana now. We're just going to leave it because I can't, I can't, I can't. I, what is this? I don't understand. I don't understand the world of Christianity. It's some foreign, absurd thing. It's something I just look at like, what is, what is happening over there? I know I have a series called Eye on Christianity where I try to keep my eye on what's going on in the world of Christianity, but every time I open my eye to look at what's going on in the world of Christianity, it makes me want to run for my life. Now, please note, that doesn't mean I'm against Christ, obviously not. It doesn't mean I'm against the Bible, obviously not. It doesn't mean I'm against theology, obviously not. And doesn't mean I'm against the church, obviously not, because I've, I've been a part of church since my salvation. But the issue is Christianity, or what, what it has become, this kind of, what, what this, this thing that so, in so many cases, doesn't represent anything. It, it doesn't represent, it doesn't even reflect Christ, the Bible. It doesn't even reflect Christianity from the past. This just, this thing called Christianity, this, this churchianity, what the corporate church, the, the church looks like. I just, there's so much, there's a culture to it. There's a Christian culture. There's a Christ, there's a church culture. And the culture sometimes has nothing to do with actual biblical Christianity. You got people pawning their wedding bands so their kid can get to a youth conference because I guess the local church can't minister to their children sufficiently. Oh, man, I'm going to back this up. You can tell me what you think about that. You may think, oh, those godly parents say sacrifice for their children. I, how about don't, don't pawn, if you need to pawn your wedding band, do it. I don't know, maybe for something of, of, of greater value than a youth conference for crying out louder. Here we go. After I got back from youth conference, I found out how much they wanted me to come. I was watching my mom, watching my mom uh, wash dishes. I had never seen my mom without her wedding band. And I said, Mom, where's your, where's your ring? She goes, uh, you know, I'm going to get it back. You're going to get it back. So I didn't ask too many questions. She didn't want to give me more information. My parents took their wedding band off and took it to a pawn shop so I would have enough money to come to an event like this. I was the oldest. My little sister Mary's in here this afternoon. And I'm, I was 13, and uh, she was five. And in between. And just, I just feel like youth conferences, youth messages, church camp, man, they love the emotions. They love the, to, to go for the emotions. Teenagers are emotional. I mean, they got so much, there's so much happening inside of their body. They're already emotional. And it just seems like, whether intentionally or unintentionally, whether consciously or subconsciously, it just seems ministry always seems to try to take when it comes to young people and go for the emotions, cry, sad stories, emotional stories. And I, 
I'll just leave it there. That happens. I'm not going to judge the motive for it happening, but it calls to me, it feels, it sometimes feels like manipulation, whether it is intended to be, it feels that way. I'm not saying this is just once I start hearing the crack in the voice and the emotion, it just seems like that, that's such a, that's par for the course for youth ministry. But here we go. Between us, there were four other, four other siblings. But my mom and dad loved me, and uh, they wanted me to come. I sat in the balcony that time, and most all week we sat in the same place. I don't remember all the preachers. I don't even remember the messages so much. I did go out to the college, and, and I slept in the gymnasium on a cot, showered in the locker room there, heard Brother Eddie preach. I remember hearing Brother Johnny Pope preach, and and other good men of God spoke that week. And I thought, this is bigger than life. Man, this is something else. But all that went away on a Thursday afternoon as I sat there and they asked people, listen, why in the world do you think you're sitting in this room? Why are you sitting here and someone else is not? Why is it God brought you here? And, and is it possible that God wants you to surrender to him? I remember sitting there in that, in that, in that balcony. I could take you to the very spot. It's just, just, you know, it's probably 300 feet from here. And I can go right there. And I remember watching young people come forward. And I was so glad. I really looked down and I started crying. I was 13 years old. My teeth were so crooked. All I could sing is all I want for Christmas is one straight tooth. <laughs> I was skinny as a rail. I was in a poor family, and I figured that out somewhere in my 11th, 12th grade year that other people had a higher echelon of economic strength than the Wilkerson people did. I realized I was living in government housing projects and old farmhouses. So you come from a poor, poor family, government housing, and your family pawns their wedding bands. Your, your father and mother, so that you can go to a youth conference. And that's, that's being presented as a good thing, as a powerful thing, as a spiritual thing, as a Christian thing, where I'm looking at it, did you go to church? I'm assuming you went to church, so why would the church place put your family in that situation? Why wouldn't the church pay for you to go? And why is it that the local church couldn't minister to you? You had to go off to a youth conference to be ministered to. I, I've got questions. The house we lived in at the time was next door to the church, and the church owned it, so the church let us live there. So I realized, okay, you know, I'm poor. I, don't, I feel like when I look in the mirror, I don't like the way I look. I'm 13. Things are not, I don't even know why. I, and I remember seeing people like Pastor Stuart Mason. He came up on the right side. Brother Don Harley and, and many people that, that Thursday afternoon came on that platform. There might be people right here this afternoon that, that came on that same platform. But the Lord did something in my heart. I sat there and I, and I, and I saw kids go up there. I said, I see why that guy would go. I mean, that guy plays, looks like a football player. That's a beautiful girl or, 
I can see why they would do it. I could not find a reason why in the world God would want me to go. And I just started crying. Now, this is just very, if you just look at it from a psychological standpoint, you've got teenagers who always feel like they don't like what they see in the mirror. They always feel like that they're inadequate. They always feel, you may have some teenagers who don't feel this, but it's very common within the teenager time period that you don't feel comfortable. You don't like the way you look. You compare yourself to others. You don't feel worthy. So it seems like it's really going after some of those emotional issues that teenagers experience, at least in large numbers. So is this a psychological uh, appeal? Is this, is this, I'm going to use the word again, is this manipulation? Maybe it's none of those things. Maybe it's just very honest telling of the story and it just happens to be very relevant to the emotional state of many young people. Let's just see where it goes. And uh, I started crying and Mr. Ingleby, who went home to be with the Lord just about four weeks ago, he died. But he was a man in our church that drove the van. And he was sitting up there, and maybe some other folks went down the altar, I don't know, but he saw me crying. And he came over and put his arm around me and said, John, what's the matter? I remember just telling him, I don't know. He said, God talking to you? I said, probably. So what are you supposed to do? He said, I probably should be down on the platform. I said, but I don't. I looked at crying. I was crying. <laughs> I said, I don't know what I can do. And I said, I said, he said, John, don't worry about that. Just tell God you'll do it. And boy, that was a wonderful day. I don't know what I can do. Don't worry about it. Just tell God you're basically willing to do it. Like, I, is this supposed to be a, a gospel situation or is this like, do you go forward to tell God what you will do or do you go forward because of what Christ has done? I know I'm going back to a law and gospel distinction here, but since that's really a focus right now in the series that we started on Sunday, I, uh, let's just, let's just see where it goes. When he put his arm around me and I, he prayed and I prayed. And I don't think we filled out a slip. I wish I would have. But in my heart, God confirmed. That's what. That was my moment. When I, I had a moment of salvation. That's when I knew I had Jesus. He that the Son of everlasting life. If you're here and you're not sure you have the Son, you need to get saved. Eternity is a long time to wish you would have gotten saved. And uh, spend eternity separated from God in the lake of fire burning and, and experience a torment of God forever and ever. Okay, so this wasn't a salvation. I was, that's why I was a little confused by like what I do, tell God you'll do it. Okay, so this is something subsequent to salvation. Okay. So I guess you're saved. Now this is the surrender that I guess comes after salvation. I guess that that's what's this is uh, trying to articulate. And you had every reason. I, I, I wouldn't want to go to hell from China. I wouldn't want to go to hell from Russia. I think it's terrible. I wouldn't want to go to hell from India. But I really wouldn't want to go to hell from this room. When you have been asked over and over and over again, please come to Jesus. He that hath the Son of everlasting, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Accept him. 
And you're like, no, no, I'm afraid. I'm afraid what someone might think about me. Everybody thinks I'm saved. If you're not saved, you are nuts not to get saved. And have to look the Lord Jesus in the eye one day and say, man, you gave me so many chances and I went to hell. That'd be terrible. I'd already gotten saved. I had a day of salvation when I knew that. Obviously, we hear the semi-Pelagianism. God gave you a chance and you refuse. In other words, you have the ability just to believe. You have the ability to have faith. You have the ability to accept. You, you have the ability to do it. And so um, it has nothing. So that's obviously kind of a rejection of total depravity, kind of a semi-Pelagian that the will is still free. And, okay, basically the idea of libertarian free will, right? We, we can make all the, the, the theological distinctions here. You are, you are obviously aware that we're, we're listening to something coming from that theological perspective, but I just thought I would at least point it out. God had, I had Jesus. But that day was a day when I understood that Jesus had me. I wasn't my own. And much of the conference, and I don't even think only by design, we have sat in hours and hours, poured over what we're going to do and when the skit's going to come and what we're going to do with the launch legacy and, and, uh, and what message we're going to preach and who is going to preach each message. All that stuff, we try to do our very best, but we ask the Spirit of God to help us. But right now, I just think we're in this time where we need to say, hey, is it your time to surrender to the Lord? What are, you, what are you waiting for? So this is kind of an interesting approach. It's like, okay, um, if you're not saved, you need to get saved. Now I'm going to talk to all the kids here who profess Christ. Now you've professed Christ. Now you need to take the step of surrender. So how does this fit into your theological system? Do you see salvation is one thing and surrender is something subsequent to it? Like you have a moment of salvation and then at some point in your Christian life, you must have a moment of surrender. That like there are, there are these are very distinct moments in one's Christian journey. The journey begins at salvation and then at some point in that journey, you must come to the point of surrender for your Christian life really to take off, for growth to really occur, for how, how does that work? Do, do you see in the Bible, do you feel that there are these two, like here's salvation and here is the moment of surrender? Do you think that's, how does that fit in? Do, have you been taught that? What's your experience with that concept? It's just, this is kind of a, an interesting perspective being put forward that I think some will agree with, some may disagree with, some may have lived through this and have, I, I would just love to get everyone's perspective on what we're hearing here. What in the world would you be afraid about? 45 hours and 26 minutes ago, we met here for the first time at this conference at 6 p.m. on Tuesday evening. We have heard lots of things. We've enjoyed lots of time together from the first time we sang I'll Fly Away with Brother Ricky to right now. We've heard messages from Brother Brown reminding us don't play games with God's goodness, with His greatness. Don't play games with His game plan for your life. Let Him have His way. Brother Jerry Ross, 
another just interesting theological perspective here is let like, you know, God has a will, God has a way, but you've got to let him have his will and have his way. Like God, God always, it's, it's just an interesting perspective on God. God has all these things he wants to do. God has all these things he wills. God has all these things he desires to do, but you can stop it at any time, which then seems weird because scripture seems to indicate that God does all things that he, he works all things according to his goodwill and pleasure. So do we stop God? Can we, can we just stop God's will completely? How, how does, how do we understand that apparent, it's a, it's a, a clear conflict in the theological world. Those believe God has a will and a way, but we can stop it at any time. And others believe God's will and way, he works everything according to his will and way, so we cannot stop it. How do we understand that? Would speak for us later that night after Brother James Goodall reminded us, make sure you know you're saved. And numbers of people got that settled and we rejoice with you. And Brother Ross talked about the second most important decision you'll ever make in your life. He reminded us that we're going to have a season where we're not going to feel complete. Because we're made to be married. Some may not be, but most are. And you're going to not feel complete. But you don't want to buy into Satan's counterfeit. You want to trust God. You want to wait on God and you don't want to spend your time thinking, oh, is it her? Is it him? Or who's going to love me? Or who can I, who can, who do I like to be with? No, no. While you're, while you're waiting on God, you don't want to pursue. You want to prepare. All right. So this is one of those messages. I guess now he's going to kind of summarize what they've learned at the conference. I don't think this is actually going to be a message. It just seems like I I don't know. You can, I, you can place this in a category. You can classify it. But now he's doing a little bit of summarizing. You want to prepare yourself and say, you know, what is it that God wants me to do? And you want to be pure while you're waiting. That's a fantastic message. Next, next morning, we had the joy to hear um, a message that uh, reminded us of, of how important it is that you and I learn the biblical principles of, of uh, not being ashamed. Brother John Francis reminded us here together, he said, like Samuel, he wasn't ashamed to surrender to the Lord. He wasn't ashamed to stand, even though Hopni and Phineas didn't do their thing. He wasn't ashamed to serve God in his generation. That helped me. After that, we heard Brother Andy Gomez talk about Satan's hope for us, is that we would, we would obey man rather than God. And it- All the messages that he's referencing were absolute abominations to any hermeneutical principles or how to handle the text, how to exegete the text. I mean, they were, they were, they were just so, so, so bad. But okay, so he's kind of going through some of the messages, trying to kind of... I mean, some of them, it was very confusing even to know what some of the points were. But okay, he's trying to break some of them down, trying to summarize them. Okay, so, so where, what, what do you think his end goal here is? What, what do you think he's going to do? He's, he's trying to, like, he's only got like 11 minutes left. So what do you think his, the ultimate purpose of this kind of sh- very short message is? What do you think he's ultimately go- shooting for here? 
eventually that we would just do nothing. We would just continue as we are. What are the tragic things to leave youth conference and be the same clown you were when you came in? Not go, go back no different. Just like, oh, I went there, it was great, it was fun, we had a great time, good fireworks, that's it? That's Satan's hope for us. And we heard so many good missions moments, Brother Holmes and Brother DeMoville reminding us, really, that life given to the Lord is the best life. Brother Lapina challenged us on soul winning and then, Brother Conger, what a great message of the soul-winning car of young men that stood over here and sang for us. And we had the opportunity to see pictures of them when they were in the sixth grade with little New Testaments and talking to people, and now they all look eye to eye, reminding us that soul-winning is important. It's the only thing in heaven. We're not going to be able to do soul-winning in heaven. You only get to do it here, getting the gospel out to people. Then, of course, Brother Eddie's message on Jonah. What a great truth. What a great uh, reminder of us that uh, not only does the loss need you to be a soul winner, and your church needs you to be a soul winner, your country needs you to be a soul winner, but the world needs you to be a soul winner. The day you had the chance to hear uh, this morning Brother, Brother Torres talk about being a friend and about being, having good friends. A friend can really mess you up. Some of you got that friend right now. You think more about them than you think about your parents. You think more about them than you think about God and His will. Just like that, that little young, those two young men who illustrated the fact that two young men heard the same messages, went to the same church, went to the same conference, and one went one way. And 30 years later, they're drinking coffee and saying, what an idiot I was. And the other one's saying, I'm so glad I did. <laughs> It's a great truth. And remind us of that, Brother Thompson, chapter 5 of Jonah. So chapter 5 going to be, what are you going to do with that? Just a great reminder to all of us. And then we had the chance to hear the girls and Mrs. Woosley. You might remember that beautiful lady standing with, talking about her husband John, her two kids, and another one on the way. The blessings of God from a bus child. To, to a life that she treasures. And then listen to Miss, Mrs. Brown, Miss Charity. Girls, you remember hearing her, what, what the values are of a good black book. How that getting loaned with the Bible challenges you and helps you in so many ways. And then Brother Reno Likens, young men, Proverbs chapter 5, remind you about the dangers of a strange woman. Some of you you, 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 you don't have a woman. You've got a phone. You've got something. You're, you, you're, you're, getting, you're getting trapped. It's messing with you. And God tells us, don't do it. Don't do it. Purity is always powerful. Immorality. Every moment you spend looking or talking or texting someone or trying to get something to see or do something with somebody is a, is a dumb moment. Reminding us about that. And another Hubal told us his testimony and about being like Caleb. He was a minority, but a very important uh, decision. He even outlasted everybody else. And by the way, you'll outlast everybody if you just do what's right. You'll be so glad you did. Time is. 
You'll outlast everyone if you'll just do what's right. Just do what's right. That's all you got to do. Just do what's right. I, I, I wish Christianity was that. Just do what's right. We're not going to even acknowledge the sinful nature. We're not even going to acknowledge the depravity. Just do what's right. Just ever, just wouldn't it be so if why 2,000 years of church history, Christians just do what's right. 2,000 years of church history and Christians constantly do what's wrong because we're going to continue to sin. So how can you just tell everyone to just do what's right when the reality is, is we're going to continue to do that which is wrong? We have to deal with the reality that no matter how much you want to do what is right, you're going to find yourself doing what is wrong. And no matter how much you don't want to do what is wrong, you're going to find yourself doing it. It's just, it's just you, 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 the things you want to do, you don't do. And the things you don't want to do, you end up doing. That's just the reality of the Christian life that sometimes I don't think the church equips young people to understand. Gone by. And then, of course, you have a very powerful illustration today of Brother Woosley's testimony at the end and the blessings of your future if you just surrender to him. And then, of course, we just heard Brother Holmes remind us of that wonderful thing. Always nervous about surrender. We like to, like, it's like a little boy. Could you imagine a little boy on the, at the launch of Jesus when a, Andrew started looking for lunch? People didn't, only one kid. There are a lot of people there had a lunch. I don't think he was the only kid on the whole day to have a lunch. Probably some guy saw him coming and saw Andrew looking for a lunch and said, nope, you're not having my lunch. He didn't want want to give it away. Other people might have said, no, I'm going to eat it myself. And they feed one person. Boy, I think it's beautiful. That little boy. We don't even know his name, but he was willing to give his lunch. He was there. He was prepared and he was willing. You guys are all here. You're prepared. And God's asking for your lunch. You can keep and eat it for yourself and do whatever you want to do. You can go wherever you want to go to college. You can do whatever you want to do with your career. You can do whatever you feel like is best for you. But God always leaves his best to those who keep the choices up to him. Anybody that's got a brain in their head. And by the way, you ought to listen to people a little older than you. They've been through some things. You, one thing we can give you that you can't give yourself is experience. I think it's why we have this. You know, we have a youth conference because of you. Two reasons why we have a youth conference. We don't do it because we just need something to do. It's not worth it. Unless, for two reasons, the cause of Christ and you. You. And I don't care if you're 13 and you're a boy or you're 15, you're a girl, or you just graduated from high school, or your postgraduate just came along to try to try to encourage everybody in your youth group. The reason we have this thing is because of you. And we want you to be glad you did one day and not wish you would have. I want you to surrender to the Lord, not because it does anything for me. You heard about Howells Anderson College, and five years after I sat in that balcony and surrendered to the servant of the Lord, I, God let me come here. There's a lot of good colleges out there, and where you need to go, I met people that are going to other good colleges yesterday at the, at, and I, I'm happy. I don't, I don't, we're not in competition. We want you to do what God wants you to do. God let me come here, and now let me come back to be here. It's a place of preparation. It's a place of connection. It's a place of, of learning and practicing. And I, I think it's a great place. 
But there is one verse I want to share with you, and it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and it's verse number 9. And the Bible says, the scripture saith, it's a repeat reference to the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 64. And the Bible tells us, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. Young person, the big factor in this room is, does God love you and do you love him? Do you love him? There's all things. He can make all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. Love is the factor. Young people, I, I, I'm telling you, I could say it. I almost feel embarrassed to say it again because it's been said so many times. But I could never script a better life for the life and times of John Wilkson that God has done. I give him so little and he blesses me so much. And I haven't met anybody that's old that gave themselves to God that says I made the biggest mistake of my life. But I have met scores and hundreds of people that said I wish I would have. I don't want you to be in that group. What God says is I have not seen. If God could show you your future, you wouldn't believe it if you would love him. He said, if God could sit down, I could tell you, or he told me what's going to happen in your future. If you would love God, you would not believe it. You couldn't believe what I was telling you. If I could show you photo albums of future of how your life would be if you love the Lord, you wouldn't believe it. And the Bible says, nor entered into the heart of man. You, you couldn't, your heart would blow up if you knew all that God has for you. If you would love him. And I, I am excited about it. Because I believe in this room there are some young people that love God. Now, you don't love him like you should and like you're going to. But I believe there's some folks. There's some of you that you just don't give a rip. The 1 Corinthians 2.9 passage has. He's, apply, he's, applying, he's applying 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9. To the idea that you have no idea what God has prepared for you in your future. Most people believe, most people apply 1 Corinthians 2 9. You have no idea what God has prepared for you in heaven. Let me just read from one article. Many Christians apply 1 Corinthians 2 9 as a promise of future blessings in heaven. He's applying them. You have no idea what God has prepared for you in this life. So even he takes it even in a, in a, a kind of a third and a, a second direction. The they This article believes that the, the idea of a future blessing in heaven may have merit. But our heavenly home was not the immediate context of Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians 2.9 or of the prophecy in Isaiah 64.4, which it's a reference to. The primary meaning of eyes have not seen what God has planned for those who love him points to the mystery of the gospel, which is not understood by natural means. The human mind cannot comprehend it because God's spirit alone reveals it. Paul rightly applied Isaiah's words to support his case that only the spiritually mature can grasp the mysteries of God. Those who see from an earthly perspective with human eyes have not seen all the blessings God has prepared for his children. More beauty and worth are in the message of the gospel than anyone can comprehend. 
All right. Uh, the unsaved truly do not know what they're, what they're missing, but there are still unseen wonders that even the mature believers are yet to ap- apprehend, such as the richness and depth of God's plan of salvation. If we apply what no eye has seen to what awaits us in heaven, we can correlate it to many rewards promised in scripture. Um, so they, they, they talk about what that refers to, but it seems to be the idea that we can't understand fully what is uh, what the gospel ultimately brings to us seems to be more the idea. I I I don't want to get too much into it. I just he just quotes the scripture, kind of throws out an application, and not really do anything with it. Which of course, I mean, obviously he's not actually preaching a, a message, so I don't know why he wanted. I, I, it almost feels like, and I know. Look, if you stand in the pulpit and you just have a topic to talk about, you just have. Uh, Um, okay, someone just asked this question. He says, I'm coming into this late, but has he ever told them how difficult a Christian life is supposed to be, that the world will hate you if you follow Christ? True. Yeah, that's being left out. Um, this is the idea, that, hey, come to Christ and everything's going to be better in your life. Come to Christ and you're going to have the best life now. Come to Christ and everything's going to be wonderful. Instead of, well, come to Christ and wait, you're supposed to die to yourself, deny yourself, face the persecution of the world. Yeah, hey, you're going to have to deal with sin and the struggle against sin. Yeah. So yeah, that that's clearly being left out in all of this. It's being left out in all of this. But um, what I, what I was going to say, because I think this is important. If if you're a preacher or even a Sunday school teacher, and you've got some kind of topic, some idea you want to talk about, just talk about the idea or the topic. Don't just throw in a scripture because you're like, well, I've got to quote a scripture. I mean, I'm standing here, I'm preaching, I'm teaching. I've got to throw in. Just leave the scripture out and just teach on the point, the topic, the idea that you have, share whatever it is. Here, he's just it, it just feels like he's getting close to the end. He's only got like two minutes left. He's not even mentioned scripture really up to this point in any meaningful way. He's not even referenced one. And that's okay if that's what he wants to do. But don't throw in a scripture like 1 Corinthians 2, 9, and not even bother to deal with, well, some people interpret it this way. Some people interpret it this way. Exactly what is meant here? What is, what, what is, what do, what do we understand here? How is he using Isaiah 64? He's leaving all of that out because he's just, it's almost like, oh, I got to throw in a scripture. You don't just throw in a scripture because it's, it's what you're supposed to do. Mention scripture when you're ready to actually deal with the scripture. I I, I don't, I, I, I hate that. Once again, it's, it's church culture. Oh, well, I got to throw in a scripture here. Got to throw it. Look, if you've got something you just want to share, share it. Throw in the scripture when it's appropriate that you can actually deal with the scripture. You're just not interested. And I, and I, I love you, but you're going to make your decision. But I plead with you to consider loving God with the rest of your life and realizing how much he loves you, how good he is, how great he is, and his game plan for your life. He said, I have not seen, nor ear heard, nor in the heart of the man thinks God's prepared for anybody who loves him. See, once again, he he's quoting that scripture, I don't think in any way close to the way it's supposed to be handled. Um, and I'm always getting nervous when 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 we say, you know, you, 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 you can't imagine what God has prepared for you. The, the, the plan he has for you, it's so wonderful. It's so awesome. It's so great. And then what happens 
that you tell these young people that God's wonderful plan for you, and six months later, one of them is diagnosed with terminal cancer, childhood cancer, and they end up dying within a year. What what, what about the, the young woman or girl in there who's going to be raped or abused by her husband? But hey, God has a wonderful plan for you. Everything's going to be wonderful. You, you got to be... Mm, Christians love to make these like... Everything's going to, you come to Jesus and, and God's got this great plan for your life. Six years after coming to Jesus and your life is in total shambles. It, 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 it we, we always sell Christianity as you get Jesus and everything's going to be wonderful. And it doesn't work that way. And the spirit of God is the shortcut. Being spirit filled is a shortcut to experiencing that love. Just a few moments We're going to sing a congregational song. A young lady is going to get up with her friends and sing a song that she wrote that uh, is unbelievable. You heard it last night on the shores of of the lake out there. You're going to hear it again. And then you're going to hear Brother Brown preach. Would you just bow your head right now and say, God, please know that I love you. Help me to love you more. Help me to know how much you love me. If I could get anybody to do anything, I'd just get you just to believe God loves you and love him back. We love him because he first loved us. He loves you, young person. He's the best. Never get ripped off with God. Never. You can trust him. You can believe him and you can know that he loves you and you can love him back. I have not seen nor ear heard nor entered the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. Apostle Paul said it like this, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Can you finish it with me? Who loved me? and gave himself for me. Father, thank you very much for the chance to share these thoughts. Thank you for people willing to listen. There you have it. I don't really know exactly what that was. (laughs) I, I... I don't really know really what his ultimate goal was. It sounded like he was going that you need to surrender. Then it's like, no, you just need to love God more. I mean, obviously, it's very law-based since we've been talking about the distinction between law and gospel. Um, but it's the it's the First Corinthians two nine. First Corinthians two nine. I, I just I'm just continuing to pull up different articles about it. Um, it says some years ago. So they quote First Corinthians two nine in this article. But as as it is written, eyes hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. Some years ago, this verse by itself was our theme verse for a semester at chapel at school I attended, and it was used as a, a, and it was used as it typically is used to encourage to encourage Christians that they cannot imagine the things that God has prepared for them in heaven. To see, typically it goes with the heaven idea, but he, this this youth conference is using it no. You, you, you surrender to Jesus, you love Jesus, you follow Jesus, and you can't imagine how great things are going to be in your life. You can't imagine what God has prepared for you in this life. 
most apply it to heaven, he's taking it here. I, I don't know if I don't know if either concept is correct, and I'm dropping things here. I don't know if either concept is correct. Let's see which direction they go with this. Um, it says, perhaps you've used it that way. So what's the problem? Perhaps it is the ripping of this verse out of context that has led to recent a recent you know number of books dealing with the afterlife. Maybe so. Maybe a lot of people look at this verse and they're like, oh, this is talking about heaven, so I'll use this as my key verse, and then we'll write a book about heaven and show everyone what God has prepared for them in heaven. Again, the, the youth conference didn't even go that direction. Uh, they go on to say, uh, it says, people are just dying, yes, that's a pun, to know what heaven is like. They want to know if the family pet will be there. They want to know uh, what giant uh, giant pearls look like. They want to know everything really uh, will be all right in the end. So you can get small children going to heaven and coming back to tell the story. You get close encounters of the God kind. You get guys with no interest in the Bible coming into my workplace telling me he died and rose from the dead and he wants to tell me what Jesus is really like. In other words, there's been a lot of that. The problem is that 1 Corinthians 2.9 should never be quoted without including 1 Corinthians 2.10. This is the reason the ESV actually inserts a hyphen at the end of verse of 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 chapter of chapter two, of chapter two verse nine, and it's written this way. Or let's read first first Corinthians two nine. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. There's the hyphen in the ESV. So what does verse ten say? These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches every, everything, even the depths of God. The glory of heaven will be just that glorious. Human imagination could not truly conceive of the majesty of life in the immediate presence of God. But this reality and the many of and its actual elements have been revealed to us by the Holy Spirit through Scripture. All right. So they do go with the idea of heaven, but the point is no, these things have been revealed to us in the word of God. So it seems that we have three ways of approaching 1 Corinthians 2:9. We have 1 Corinthians 2:9 simply means you can't even understand what God has prepared for you. You come to God and you'll get it. Others like, no, no, you can't even imagine what God has prepared for you in heaven. You just believe in Jesus and you'll get it. They're making an argument. No, 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 no. This is about heaven, but you can understand it because it's been revealed to us by the word of God, by the spirit of God through, through the inspiration of scripture. It has been revealed to us. Others say, no, 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 no. This is not about the blessings in your future. It's not about heaven. It, it's not about the spirit revealing either of those things to us through scripture. It is about we cannot comprehend and we cannot grasp what God has done through us in the gospel, but it has been revealed in the scriptures. There's a lot of different directions to go with this, but of course, he didn't, this, this message wasn't even bothered in dealing with it. But the point is, if you look up, you can do a Google search and find plenty of articles saying, stop misinterpreting 1 Corinthians 2.9. Stop misusing 1 Corinthians 2.9. Stop ripping it out of its context. And here's a youth conference. Once again, this youth conference has just done this continually, they use scripture, and the one thing they're not teaching the young people 
is they're not teaching young people how to interpret scripture. They're not teaching young people how to study the scriptures. They're not teaching young people how to stop ripping verses out of context. They haven't done any of that. And I don't know what we just heard, but it was basically 22 minutes of, uh, you You can classify it, but it's there. That's That was the next one in line. I, I really wish we could have done something of, of greater value. I guess the one thing we can, we, we, we can... We will do this. I have now, I will give you 1 Corinthians 2, 9 today. Here's what I'll do. Because I'll, I got to leave you with something, right? I'll leave you with 1 Corinthians 2, 9 today. Make it your focus today. Just to look up maybe four commentaries on 1 Corinthians 2, 9. Um, read the context. Read, do, do this. Here, here's what I would ask you to do. Number one, read 1 Corinthians 2. Just quickly read the whole chapter. Look at the context for verse 9. Don't forget verse 10. Right, just just look at the context. Right, just look at it, and uh, once you get the context, just think about it. And then I want you to look up just four commentaries on First Corinthians two nine to see what they have to say. Right, is this about hey you come to Jesus and you can't imagine what He's going to do in your life? Is that what it's about? No, no. You come to Jesus, you can't imagine what He's got in store for in heaven. Or is it hey you can't imagine what God has to store for you in heaven? However, the Spirit has revealed to to you in Scripture. Or is this a reference you can't even comprehend or understand what God has done for you in the gospel? But the by, the Spirit has revealed to it to us in Scripture. Which way do you go with this first? What is your understanding. Read 1 Corinthians 2, look up four commentaries. There you go. Just make 1 Corinthians 2 a focus today because we got to get something from this youth conference. They, they at least mentioned it, but they didn't do anything with it. And I guess the real question is in your church, how, how well, how prepared and how equipped are the young people in your church to actually handle the scriptures? Because they go to youth conferences and they're given examples of how not to handle scriptures, but are being told that that's the way to handle scripture. Uh, okay, <laughs> someone just said that's twenty-two minutes of trying to sell Christianity. That's a that's a good point. So what so what was the message? Uh, they tried to sell Christianity, but basically saying, "Come to Jesus, and everything in your life will be wonderful." I guess I I don't know. I I I don't really know what that was. It's another reminder why we got to stay out of Indiana. That's I think that's what's that's a reminder of. I'm telling you, flee Indiana. Just flee. Just flee Indiana. Just you got to move. You got to move. You, you do. You have to. I mean, okay, it's a little bit of hyperbole, but man, I'm waiting for one good. I think we may only have one message less left to review, and then we can bring this series to some kind of crashing end. But uh, there you have it. You can let me know what you think about what's happening in well the church. When it comes to youth ministry, there you go. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. <laughs> I, I, what, what do you say? That, that, that was, I don't know what that was. So thanks for listening. I, I, hey, this is what happens, all right? Yeah, move to Abilene. Yes, move to the Abilene area and attend Victory Baptist Church. That's what you must do. That is what God is telling you. I'm joking. I'm not going to say that because that would be wrong. But yeah, that's. But you do need to move to the Abilene area. You do. You just. You do. It, it's. It's everyone. Everyone must move to everyone. 
Everyone who goes to church, you know, and you must go to Victory Baptist Church. It's the only option you have. It's about a 20-minute drive from Abilene, but that's okay. It's worth it. All right, I'm joking. All right, everyone have a good day. We'll we'll do some we'll do something hopefully of greater benefit later. But I, I hope you find some benefit at least hearing what's going on in uh, the world of church youth ministry. And well, that's an example of it. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless.